Yes, make sure you pick those up so I don't get in trouble from maintenance. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. I'm still waiting for my Valentine to get home. I know. He'll be home this afternoon, though. And then we are going to go on a romantic evening. We're going to be at the guys' basketball game and the girls' basketball game. Yeah, you know what? 35 years of marriage, it's just, you do that stuff. You just, it doesn't matter what you would do as long as you're together. Yes, he is my deep Valentine. So today, just because of Valentine's Day, um, I'm going to tell you uh, our Valentine's story, our first Valentine's story real quick. So um, my message is entitled, Read the Instructions. Someone say, Read the Instructions. So Scott and I, we met in 1981, and we were set up by a friend of ours. It was 1980s version of, um, you know, Christian Mingle, because I don't know that if they had that kind of stuff back then. But uh, my girlfriend introduced us at church, and uh, she had met Scott at Bethany Bible College, and I was back home in Sacramento, and so when they came home for for the summer break, she introduced us, and um, it wasn't exactly love at first sight, but it was interest at first sight. And um, so, long story short, a year later, we were engaged, and, um, uh, and then we got married six months after that, and so clearly um, the Lord intervened, and he worked on our hearts. But um, our first Valentine's Day was a little rough. How many can say rough? It was rough because um, just our backgrounds, my, my life before I met my husband was very slow and very methodical. It was very predictable. In fact, my dad still lives in the same house that I moved into when I was five years old. So 50 years he's lived in that house. Now, Scott, there was like nothing predictable about his life. And so he would, we always joke about it. He, they, he moved 27 times by the time he um, got to, uh, bef before he even went to college, he moved 27 times. Um, life was crazy. He had a lot of, of, of difficulty in his family. We used to joke about the fact that, you know, they, their family would get in an argument about whether to go to, you know, Burger King or McDonald's, and they just end up going to Disneyland instead. I mean, that's how crazy his upbringing was. It just was, had absolutely nothing to do with at all, by any stretch of the imagination, anything that I had ever experienced in my life. And so um, when, when my family would have Valentine's Day, we were very ordered about it. Now, don't get me wrong. There was a lot of love in my family. We loved each other. I was very secure. Very, we had just a great growing up, best family values, very much lived in a bubble, went to church. You always knew where we were on Wednesday night was missionettes and Royal Rangers. Thursday night was choir practice. We were always there in the same place. Monday night was spaghetti night. You know, I mean, it just was predictable. And so we always liked to give our Valentine's Day gifts at the breakfast table on Valentine's Day. Because when you get your, when you already have your Valentine's presents, when you get up on Valentine's Day, that means you have thought about it. 
You, there's forethought involved. There is planning. There is preparation involved. It is a deep, deep understanding of that person and what they like. So you are prepared at breakfast to give your Valentine's Day cards and gifts. So we would have our Valentine's all set out at the, the breakfast table. Well, Scott's family didn't exactly operate that way. And so, like at Christmas time, he may have told you this story. His dad would, like, have all these presents. They would have all these presents out for the kids, and he wouldn't have anything out there for his mom. And you'd go through the entire opening of the presents, and there was nothing there for Bev. And Bev's, like, trying to be happy, and she's trying to, you know, smile. And, but there's no presents from Bob under the, pre, uh, under the tree for her. And, and Bob's kind of being gruff and kind of being rude, you know. This is how they love. It's just weird. Gruff and rude, and he's like, he's like the, you know, all the presents are done. He goes, yeah, Bev, go get me a, could you go get me some um, orange juice out of the fridge? And she'd go in, you know, because she was the martyr woman, you know. She would go in and... and She'd open the refrigerator, and behind the, you know, orange juice was a pair of, you know, ruby earrings and a necklace or something, and, and it would be like, oh, Bob, you know, and then she'd be all happy. But she had to go through the entire plethora of emotions before she got to the joy. So that was Scott's interpretation of how you give presents. So... Year number one of Valentine's Day comes. I'm prepared. I have thought through this. I am ready because I love my husband. I have put forethought into it. I've been thinking about it for weeks. Come on. And um, it's deep inside of me. So I have the present and the card ready at the breakfast table. And he literally walks out and he gives me this like, like look, because, you know, this is not the stuff that they put you, they, you go through in premarital counseling. They don't talk about this kind of stuff, okay? So I've got it all ready for them. Kind of interested. It wasn't that great of a response, but he says, thank you, you know, and there's nothing there for me. Nothing. He doesn't even say happy Valentine's Day. Note to self. So he leaves for work, and and goes to work, and he calls me at about mid-morning, and he says, oh, man, everybody's getting flowers and, and candy. There's a, you should come down and see this, Karen. No happy Valentine's Day. Oh, I forgot. Nothing. No acknowledgement of the whole thing. So I go down there, and I'm, I'm, I go down just to be part of, you know, the celebration because it's clearly not happening at my house. And... Um, but I'm like 22, so, you know, who, who's mature at 22? So I'm, I'm getting ticked. Yeah, I'm getting ticked off. I go down there, and I'm just like, you know, everything is just hunky-dory, roses everywhere, you know, balloons and all that kind of, everybody's happy, everybody's giggly, and, you know, bosses have given, you know, out Valentine's to the staff. I mean, it's just ridiculous, and still nothing from my husband. Now, he's on a plane right now, so I can tell this story. So what happens in chapel, right? Stays in chapel. So he comes home at dinner time and, and nothing is in his hand. 
So I'm making dinner right now, and I'm like trying to make, I'm trying to be godly, and I'm making dinner for him on Valentine's Day. And I'm like, I can imagine what it must have sounded like when he went in, he plopped himself on the, on the couch and started watching ESPN. Oh. So I have these pots and pans in my hand, and I am banging these pots and pans in the kitchen, just alerting him to the fact that I'm still here. Oh, man, I was mad. Don't mess with me on this one. So we go through dinner and everything, and, and, he, and we, you know, we, we have dinner, and it's a little quiet because I'm ticked off. When I get ticked off, I get quiet. Um, and so after dinner, he goes back, sits on the, you know, watching a baseball game or something. And he goes, hey, Karen, would you go up and give me something from the bathroom or from the bedroom or whatever? And so, you know, I'm carrying the laundry up the stairs, you know, because I've been doing the laundry, cooking, slaving over things for him, nothing from my husband. So I go up to, to the top of the stairs. I go in the bathroom, and there sitting on the counter is a bottle of Oscar de la Renta perfume and a beautiful card and some flowers. No, 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 no. Do not go awe to my husband on this one. <laughs> to his credit, I will say, so, so previously he had taken Saturdays where I thought he was playing softball with the, with the church softball team. He had been working a construction site to, get, to save money to um, be able to buy me not the eau de toilette, but to the, buy me the expensive perfume and get me a card and get it. So he actually did put forethought into it. However, his delivery was so inept that by the time I got up there and I unwrapped that gift and I'm looking at it, I couldn't even enjoy it. I was so mad at him for the whole day, it took me at least two hours to calm down enough to say, honey, thank you, I totally get it now. That was our first experience at Valentine's Day. So lest you think that President Hagen is not, you know, nostalgic and not loving, he is very loving. We just had to work on our delivery in our marriage. How many know you have to work on love? You have to work on um, how you apply love to uh, one another. And so I want to talk to you about, obviously, we have to talk about love today because it is you know, Valentine's Day, and, and I'm not talking about, I don't want to just talk about, you know, love between a husband and wife. I want to talk about how we love each other, how we love one another. Relationship requires a lot of give and take, especially in my husband and I's marriage, and we still have to give and take a lot because we are absolute opposites. We do everything the opposite way. Together, we make a whole person, and it's a good thing. But we have to work at our relationship. And so today I just want to focus in for a few minutes on 1 Corinthians 13, on the love chapter. So get your notes out, guys and girls, because you, got, you really need to understand this. We need to have, you're like, you know what, Karen, I've studied this. I, you know, memorized this in Bible quiz when I was young, you know. We all know 1 Corinthians 13. But... I will say that 1 Corinthians 13 has an underlying power 
that we don't always see. Because um, this whole idea of love and marriage, you know, marriage will take two immature people and make them more immature. But it will take also two maturing people and it will mature them. So we have to have a great understanding. This whole thing, idea of love now, I'm not a guru at this whole thing on relationships. I haven't written a book. There's no book in the you know, lobby for you to go buy. But I have been married for 35 years. I do have friends. I do understand a little bit more because I'm older, okay? But I will say that, and I will say that, that God has literally chosen love. He's chosen relationship to hone and to develop our inner man. That's what he's chosen. So if you're bad at it, just know that God hasn't, doesn't change. He's faithful. He will always be this way. So we need to work on our ability to have relationship with one another, right? And so he puts a great emphasis on it. There's over 300 um, uh, times where it's just mentioned just in the New Testament, and that's just the word love, not to mention charity or some of the other words that, he's, that um, you use for the word love. He puts a great emphasis on it, and he's also given us clear instruction about it in the word. And so we're just, this is just like a devotional today, you know, uh, of, of just to remind us, you know, Paul says, stir you up by way of reminder, okay, on how to love one another. Someone say, read the instructions. So the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, but also love your neighbor as yourself. In 1 John 3, 16, he says, this is how we know what love is. This is an instruction. This is how we know. Jesus Christ laid down his life. Someone say, laid down. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love and honor one another above, say above, yourself. Philippians 2.3 says, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, say it, consider others better than yourselves. See, when it comes to love, it's not what you bring to the table. It's literally what you leave at the table because it isn't about you. And so we got to have a heart check. And this probably happens, needs to happen about every day. We need to, to, to heart check ourselves. And so what I want to do is I want to read 1 Corinthians 13 because we're just going to remind ourselves. We're just going to stir ourselves up a little bit today by way of reminder on how to love, how to appreciate, how to love. So it starts out with this. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That makes me think of me screeching my fingernails down on a chalkboard. I tried to find a video that had that, but I couldn't figure it out. So that's the best I could do. Screeching fingernails, that's how you sound if you do not have love. So think about that. Clanging symbol, if I have the gift of prophecy and cannot fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess 
to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I have gained nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It's not proud and it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, and it always hopes. And it always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there is prophecies, they will cease. Whether there is tongues, they will be stilled. Whether there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But, we have, but when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child. And I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see only a reflection in the mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Love. It's always good to read that, and we really should read that maybe once a week. Maybe every single, every single Sunday morning we need to like kind of rehearse that thing. Because we tend to, I don't know about you, but we tend to skip over 1 Corinthians 13 because we like the stuff about the prophecy. We like to learn the spiritual gifts. We like to go through all that stuff. But we're like, oh, yeah, I know, I know that one. Let's go to 14. We skip over it because we're so familiar with it. We've already seen what it says. We've seen too many plaques with it on there. Too many Facebook posts, and there's always hearts and flowers and swirlies and the color pink because it's the love chapter. But really, I think it should be called the fight chapter or the warrior chapter. Yeah, because, you know, I know that wouldn't look good on a plaque, but it really is something because 1 Corinthians 13 is no joke. We all know it, but we all don't practice it. We don't fully understand what it means. If it was an Olympic sport and on any given day, we would not even qualify for the race. Because agape love, which is the love that it's talking about, we all know that word. We wear it on, for jewelry or on, you know, we've, we've just overused that word. But because that word is so important, we have to talk about it. It literally reveals the gap that's inside of us. There's a gaping hole between our flesh and our spirit, that which knows how to express agape love and that which fights against it at every turn. This love is the same love that is in Galatians 5. It's the fruit of the spirit love. It's not, again, I think I've preached this already, it's not something you get, it's something that you operate in because you already have it. To live by the Spirit, you must agape. It's number one on the list. Because if you don't have number one, all that other stuff is absolutely impossible to accomplish if you do not have love. Agape means love feast. So after today, after this is all over, we're going to just celebrate some love feast on one another. I want you to love people, you know, Christian love feast. It's got to be a Christian love feast, okay? 
But agape doesn't cut off, it never unfriends, and it doesn't burn bridges. See, God created relationship. He created us to be in relationship with him. And then he says, now go relate with one another like you relate with me. We have to be able to maintain and to to serve one another and to love one another and not cut one another off. It's not of God. And we have to be really, really careful and determine how we are going to treat people because we cannot be burning bridges. Love is something that you choose to apply to your relationship. Love is a verb. It's something that you do. It's an action word. It has to be applied. It has to be acted upon because you choose to do it. It doesn't come natural in your flesh. You choose to do it. You don't suddenly just agape. Because it literally defies everything that your flesh desires because your flesh is selfish, our flesh is demanding, our flesh wants its own way. Can I get an amen? Is there anybody in here that understands what I'm saying? We have to practice it. See, we always apply this to our love relationship between a a husband and wife. But if you want to be a good spouse, you first have to be a good friend, If you want to be a good wife or a good husband, you have to be a good son or daughter. You have to be a good co-worker. You have to be able to be a good brother or sister. It's something that you work on. Agape love isn't just, okay, now that I've met my my true love, okay, now I'm going to start being an agape love person. That doesn't happen because it defies so much of who we are in the natural. And so... As I'm closing here, and and like I told you, this is a devotional. It's something that I just wanted to present to you. I wanted to throw out, like I threw out our Valentine's candies, that today maybe we could change up a little bit, be reminded of, be um, uh, more loving, be more attentive to our friends, our co um, students, those who we come in contact with, because God says to agape love everyone. That includes our enemies. See, so there's something deeper that we need to learn about what it is to agape love. That I'm going to treat everyone the same, with the same love, with the same understanding, with the same compassion. So, what's the plan? Read the instructions. How do we do it? The Bible says, I am bankrupt without love. It never gives up. Love cares more for others than it does for itself. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. 
It puts up with anything. It trusts God always. And it always looks for the best. Love never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Now, inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. All that spiritual stuff that we like to do. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth. And what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incomplete will be canceled. When I love an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and I cooed like an, any infant. But when I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting like we are in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then. We'll see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly um, just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards that communication. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. Love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. Someone say, read the instructions. So God, I pray today, Lord, as we celebrate this fun day of relationship, God, that we would see the underlying importance, God, of relationship between your creation, us, and you, the creator, but also your creation towards your creation. God, I pray, Father, that we would operate, Lord, in the kind of love that you've intended us to walk in, Father, because it will make us free. It will cause freedom to happen in our lives. And God, I thank you, Lord, that, Father, you've given us clear instruction. So we are without question. We don't have to try to figure it out. We don't even have to go searching because it's all right there. It's exactly what we need in full portion, full measure. Pressed down, shaken together, God, help us, Lord, to agape one another to have a love feast with one another, God, just as you do with us every moment of every day. In Jesus' name, amen. I agape you.